We're reading in uh, the book of Revelation, John's Revelation to the church, uh, chapter 19. We'll read together from verse 11. It's on page 1248 uh, in the Pew Bible if you need to find it. John writes, I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. And coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun who cried in a loud voice to all the birds flying in midair, Come, gather together for the great supper of God, so that you may eat the flesh of kings, generals and the mighty, of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all people, free and slave, great and small. Then I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and Their armies gathered together to wage war against the rider on the horse and his army. But the beast was captured, and with it the false prophet who had performed the signs on its behalf. With with these signs he had deluded those who had received the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. The two of them were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. And the rest were killed with the sword coming out of the mouth of the rider on the horse. And all the birds gorged themselves on their flesh. And I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss and holding in his hand a great chain. He seized the dragon, that ancient snake who is the devil, or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss and locked and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations any more until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be set free for a short time. I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge, and I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony about Jesus And because of the word of God, they had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or on their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them, 
but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. When the thousand years are over, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, and to gather them for battle. In number they are like the sand of the seashore. They marched across the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of God's people, the city he loves. But fire came down from heaven and devoured them. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. And they will be tormented day and night forever. This is the word of the Lord. Easy, right? Uh, We're going to need God's help. Um, We always need God's help. Let's pray, shall we? Father God, we thank you uh, for the book of Revelation. Uh, We thank you that it's there to reveal to us, uh, to show us things, not to to, uh, cloud things or confuse us. And so, Father, we pray that tonight uh, you will help us to see what you have to say in your word and that it would uh, build us up to live for you now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So please keep your Bibles um, open if you've got them there at Revelation 19. And we're going to go on uh, a little bit on to the end of 20 as well, where uh, we finished, uh, we'll go right to the end of chapter 20. Um, But uh, let me begin by, I was thinking about my father. um, And uh, he was 11 uh, when World War Two uh, broke out, and I remember him um, talking about it a lot. He used to talk about it a lot because he was basically grew up as a, a boy through that time. And he recalled he would often talk about how desperate things were, uh, how difficult they were as Nazi Germany marched through Europe, Poland, France, got all the way to the Channel, Channel Islands. Uh, they were. Um, doing all sorts of things in North Africa as well. And it felt like in 1939, hope was fading. Um, And the war had uh, come on the back of the Great Depression. There was no money in in, uh, the UK. Um, We were ill-equipped. Yes, there was the spirit of Dunkirk, uh, but that was a retreat, let's not uh, forget. Um, And there was trouble in North Africa. And in many ways, the UK was very exposed. And um, uh, at the time, a lot of people perhaps didn't want to admit it. Um, some talked about appeasement, didn't they? They talked about compromise uh, rather than resistance. It looked like Nazi Germany were taking over the world, the world and, and morale was really low. And it's easy, isn't it, to, to forget what it must have been like at that time. So just imagine for a moment um, that situation. And imagine for a moment in the cinemas of 1940, because that's one of their major places of communication in 1939-1940, that you could show clips of the future. Clips of the future. What effect would that have on them? What effect might that 
that instill in them. Snippets from D-Day landing, perhaps in 1944. The Allies progressing through France. Another clip, perhaps from Montgomery's victory in the Alamein in North Africa. A clip, perhaps, from the future of Hitler's death in Berlin. Or perhaps some clips in the cinema of the Nuremberg trials. Uh, Just imagine what that might have been like if they'd seen that at that point in history. What difference would it make to morale around 1940? What hope would it give to stand firm, to resist, saying we're not going to collaborate, we're not uh, um, going to cave, this evil is doomed, it's not going to last, the victory is guaranteed, even if the battle is raging around us. And that's the sense that I want us to get across here as we look at these chapters together. Because John is writing Revelation in the first century with Christians under siege. They're living in the Roman Empire and he wants his listeners to realise it's not just a physical uh, occupation, it's a spiritual thing that's going on here for them. And so we read about the great enemy, the the devil, and his allies. That's what we've got here. And those two allies, particularly that are spoken of here, are the two beasts. We um, came across them earlier in chapter 13. And now we see them again. The first beast, and I take this to stand for authorities who oppose God. And then there's the second beast, which stands for, for kind of uh, 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 false teaching, for um, false ideology, anything that is against God's way of living. And in chapter 19, verse 20, which we um, had read, the second beast is also referred to as the false prophet. So sometimes it can get confusing because I think, uh, what do we, is it another thing where it's actually the same beast? So we have this access of evil um, and turns people away from God to a place symbolically called Babylon. And it wasn't in this reading, but it was in the the previous reading. And Babylon stands for a place independent, where everything is independent of God. A place uh, of pressure to fit in, a place where compromise is, a place of collaboration. And so the devil uses its agents of evil, these beasts, uh, to crush, to silence believers unless they conform. Uh, And it could be a dictator, it could be totalitarian uh, regimes, it could be political parties, it could even be a boss or a false teacher or anyone, whoever is seeking to pull you and me away from God. Because remember, this is, these are symbols. These are images for us. And so John takes us into the cinema, if you like, and gives us this series of clips here in chapter 19 and 20 um, to show us how it's all going to end. And it's going to be a great victory. And if you take nothing away from tonight, that's the thing to remember. <laughs> Yes, it looks tough. It looks as if evil is winning. We have anti-God forces all around us. We have 
Babylon with its, all its pressures to conform and to contend with. Yet he invites us to look and see, to see these hidden realities. Uh, that Jesus reigns. He's the King of kings. He's the Lord of lords. I feel like I need an amen there. <laughs> Got one. Amen. Thank you, brother. Turn me into a charismatic. <laughs> so it makes sense to remain faithful to Jesus, doesn't it? It makes sense because he's giving us these clips of what's going to happen. Because the new heaven and the new earth await. They're chapters 21 and 22. I know they're tantalizingly close, and we're going to get there, and we're going to enjoy them. Okay, I promise you. Um, but before we get to them, it's as if here that the mess needs to be cleared up, finally. This is kind of like some preparation work that needs to go on before the, the, heaven, the new heavens and the new earth. But Babylon will fall, and that was actually last week in in the chapter, first half of chapter 19. Um, but we also have the preparation that, that, that we need to see the removal of these, these beasts, the judgment on them, we need to see Satan's defeat, and we need to see the judgment of the dead. They are all the preparation that's going to happen. But let's have a look at preparation one. Preparation one is the judgment of the beasts. Verse 11. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war. Who is it? It's Jesus. Okay? Coming as a conquering king. Completely different from his first coming, isn't it? He came on a donkey with humility, and he died on a cross as a suffering servant to save us from our sin, to take the judgment upon himself. But the second coming will be with judgment. And verse 20 tells us that the beast was captured, with its false prophet, that's the second beast, and the two of them were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. And in some ways, it talks about it as a battle, but it's quite an anticlimax in one level, if you think about it, if you read it quite closely. And we need to realise that, that it is actually when Jesus comes, that's it. <laughs> he is victorious. He's the King of kings. He's the Lord of lords. Um, the decisive battle that was taking place has, ha- has already happened 2,000 years ago on a cross outside Jerusalem. So the victory was never in doubt. And sometimes we live as if it's somehow in doubt. It's not in doubt. That's good news. Uh, all that anti-God authority, all those false teachers and ideology is no match to the king of kings be encouraged by that he comes only with one weapon in his mouth the the word of God it's the same word that that created the world it was the word of God that flung stars into space isn't it and it will be the word of God that brings an end to all this mess so if you're feeling like a little under siege as a Christian Wherever it might be, at work or at school or at home, even within the Church of England, it's been a tough week. <laughs> Look at the cinema clip of the future. The victory is not in doubt. That's the first bit. The second bit is the judgment, the second bit of preparation that needs to happen before the, 
the, heaven, the new heavens and earth come is the, prep, is the judgment of Satan. And you get that in the next section in verses 20, uh, chapter 20, verses 1 to 10. Let me just read the first bit of verse 1. I saw an angel coming down out of the heaven, having the key to the abyss and holding in his hand a great chain. He seized the dragon, that ancient snake who is the devil or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And then we read, he was kept in the abyss to stop him from deceiving the nations until the thousand years had ended. Then he's released and leads to the final rebellion against God's people. But, but finally, verse 10, the devil was thrown into the lake of fire. Now, what is this all about? <laughs> and you think, I'm not going to be able to give us a, a full explanation, partly because much ink has been spilt on this section um, talking about the millennium. You've heard about the millennium and all the debates that go around it and sometimes there is quite a lot of division around this. Um, and I'm going to give you very briefly the three main views because I think it's, it's right to at least give you something rather than say, oh, let's just move on. I don't think that's right. We should never do that with scripture, okay? Actually, we should hit it head on, even if we're not quite sure what exactly what it means. But I'll give you the three views, and I will tell you what my view is. But let us remember that there are faithful and godly Christians who take different views on this particular issue. And it shouldn't divide us, okay? So the debate really is around timing here, okay? Uh, When things are going to happen... And remember, these are pictures, these are are, are symbols. The thousand years is symbolic of a long period of time, isn't it? That's what a thousand years is, a long period of time. And it relates to Jesus' second coming in time. And I was going to give you a diagram, and I thought, no, the diagram will probably just even blow your head, probably even more. Um, So the three main views, there's something called pre-millennial, The view is that Christ returns pre, before the millennium, before the thousand years. And in this view, we can't be in that now, because Jesus hasn't returned. Okay, So Jesus comes again and raises Christians, and together reigns on earth physically in a period of peace, until Satan is released from the abyss, culminating in a final battle, and the devil is crushed. That's pre-millennialism. Then there's something called post-millennialism. Are you still with me? (laughs) Then there's post-millennial view. Christ returns after, post, the thousand years. The gospel spreads, society is transformed, and the two beasts disappear and judged. Everyone turns to Christ. He rules the world, not physically present, but governs from heaven, for a period of thousand years before a final battle where Satan is released and defeated and thrown into the abyss. So they're the, the first two. And then there is what's known as amillennial. This is, this is my view. I know it's not everybody's view, but this is my view. Amillennial, not a great name because A uh, means no millennium. And that's not really what it means to be amillennial. It's like amoral, not moral, whereas amillennial doesn't really, if you believe this, it doesn't mean you don't believe in, in any millennium. It's just a, it's a bit of an unfortunate name. 
This is the view that a thousand years are symbolic, as we've said before, not avoiding it, but understanding it uh, as not something in the future. In other words, we are in the millennium now. We're not waiting for Satan to be bound at some future point, as guess what? He's already been bound. So Satan has already been bound as Jesus died on the cross. That's the decisive victory for us. His power is beaten. He's unable to stop the spread of the gospel. The gospel is going to spread. Nothing can stop it. He can't thwart it. And of course, it may look like that it's taking a bit of a beating here and there, and particularly perhaps in the UK. You go to China. You go to parts of Africa. You go to South America. The gospel is spreading like wildfire. Um, as I say, whatever view you take of the millennium, the thousand years, it is a period where Christ is reigning. That's the key thing. He is reigning. And so what we have here, in a sense, to get back to the point, the main point, is that we have another video clip, another kind of cinema clip for the faithful Christians to to see as we wait for the final day when Satan will be crushed completely forever. So it's not, it's, it's, uh, it's really important for us not to overstate him because he's defeated. It's really important. I think Matt used to, said that when he was preaching. Let's not overstate his, his ability because he's defeated, he's bound. Okay? Christ has the victory. Christ is victorious and we are victorious with him. Verse 5 talks about the first resurrection. And I take that to mean the moment Jesus rose from the dead And so we, with him, by the Spirit, we are joined to Christ, united with him. Therefore, we have also been raised from the dead with him, and we're seated in the heavenly realms, as it says in Ephesians. That's a good thing, isn't it? That's a wonderful thing, a wonderful promise. So we should be optimistic, I don't know how you feel sometimes. Do you, do you feel like that? Sometimes it's hard to feel like that because we're so, we can only see what's physically around us. We don't see with our spiritual eye. Um, we're a new creation. We talked about that at the very beginning of um, the term, the year. Yes, we're awaiting this final battle when Christ will return. But the victory is won. It's not in doubt. Notice again, verse 8, it's not a bloodbath, it's not a carnage, but fire comes down from heaven, it's kind of, he devour, he's devoured, and that's it. It's the end. They're kind of a bit of an anticlimax. What was that? Bosh, destroyed, no contest. It's not a willy-won't-he win kind of thing, it's already assured. So John shows us this clip into the cinema of the future to give us confidence, to encourage us, to remind us that we have the victory. The final bit of prep before the new heaven and a new earth, oh, we're looking forward to that, is the judgment of the dead. Verse 11 of chapter 20. I saw a great white throne and in and him who seated on it. Verse 12, I, I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and the books were opened. What's this about? Just to end with briefly. Um, imagine 
a room, and there before you an angelic scribe is recalling everything that we do or we say, every deed. And of course, if we think about it, we start to think, oh golly, that means he sees everything. (laughs) And it's all recorded there, all the deeds, all the compromises, all the, the bad decisions that we've made, all the temptations that we've fallen into, how we've compromised with Babylon for profit, power and popularity. It's a kind of sober moment as the book is opened. The book is opened and read. And yet there's another book opened. This is an exciting book. Because this book in verse 12 is the book of life. Imagine looking carefully to see that your name is there. Ah, what joy. Your name is written in the book of life. Saved from judgment. Those who have trusted in the Lord Jesus, those who put faith in him, trusted in him because he, on the cross he died for us, he took the punishment upon himself for all the things that we've done that are, are, are bad and, and evil. All paid for, and so therefore there's nothing to fear. Absolutely nothing to fear because our names are in the book of life. What a joy. What a privilege. And so we have to ask ourselves, is our name in the book of life? Is it there? Because if it's not, that's a very sober point, isn't it? Because judgment remains on us. Have you trusted Jesus Christ? Serious stuff. Jesus is coming to finally sort out the axis of evil in these chapters. And therefore we need to be ready. When he comes, the timing of it, the millennium, he could come tonight. He could come next week. He could be coming in 100 years. I don't know. But the point is, isn't it, to be ready. Ready for that moment when the book will be opened and our name will be in the book of life because we've trusted in Jesus Christ. Those who are in the book of life. This section, when you first read it, it might seem, oh, what does this have to say? But it should be an encouragement to us. Because things yes, may look pretty bad around us. There might be all kind of evil going on. It, and we might be tempted to kind of go with it. Yet God says here, look, look. Look at the preparation that I'm going to make for a new heaven and earth because I'm going to wipe it away and it's going to come crashing down. You just need to keep going, keep contending, keep faithful, keep trusting. You will not miss out. You will not miss out. Something wonderful is coming. A world of love, a world of joy, a world of great blessing let's pray shall we Uh, God our Father we thank you for your word and Father we pray as we wait that we would be ready trusting in the Lord Jesus thank you that he has already had the decisive victory on the cross and the final um, battle and victory is not in doubt May that encourage us to keep walking faithfully with you.
now and always. Amen.